Campsite Media. I started working at Victoria's Secret when I was a senior in high school. And I wasn't the popular girl. I had never had a boyfriend and I was <laughs> the only virgin working at the store. So it was so aspirational. Like I thought that I could, by working at the brand, become the brand. This was my whole strategy, <laughs> that I could be sexy by selling lingerie. And then there was this guy at school who asked me if he could come and get something for his girlfriend for Christmas. As someone who was single, I was completely living vicariously. I helped him pick out this gorgeous red bustier and got him to get the thigh highs with it and all the good stuff. And I was on my break and I saw them at the food court and, oh my gosh, I'm getting kind of emotional. You know, he gives her a hug and he has this bag that he's trying to hide from her. And it was just like looking at what I wanted so badly, you know, and like not understanding why I couldn't get my way into it, how I couldn't work this job into it. And I just couldn't understand where that love was. This is Fallen Angel. I'm Justine Harmon. And I'm Vanessa Gregoriadis. Episode 8, The Secret. There's a concept in psychology called sympathetic magic. It's the idea that an object can have a sort of aura. So say someone goes to a pawn shop, going to buy a wedding ring. If they hear that the couple who had it originally got divorced, they won't buy it they'll feel like the ring is cursed with black magic. So with Victoria's Secret, so much of it was kind of the reverse, right? It was about American women taking bras off of shop hangers and thinking, this thing probably contains good magic. That's certainly how it seemed to Tabitha Blankenbiller, who you just heard from. She sold stuff at a Victoria's Secret store in Washington State. She felt like just by being close to the magic she could hack her way into love. Look, maybe because women's sexuality is so complex and not even understood by women ourselves, it's easy to fuck with. When we last left off, Victoria's Secret was starting to lose it, and definitely no longer a Wall Street darling. Even Jim Mad Money Kramer was going cold on the brand. Elbridge is exactly the kind of mall-based retailer that is mightily struggling in the recent years. The future looks grim. If you didn't understand that, Madman, here's podcaster and fashion designer Rachel Omandi's performance review. I don't feel things about the brand now. I mean, Victoria's Secret is kind of like a Diet Coke that someone left out overnight. There's no fizzle to it anymore. I mean, if you're desperate, yeah, go get you a sip, but it's not going to be refreshing. So what do you do when the fizzle goes flat? You just got to shake that shit up. First, 
they'd finally cater to all women. Victoria's Secret's changing their image, trying to answer the age-old question of what women really want. You get a bra, and you get a bra. Uh, they're talking about adding a number of items to their bras lines, including nursing bras, uh, maternity bras, and mastectomy bras. I'm currently in the BBV maternity bra from Victoria's Secret. It makes me feel like a woman again and not just a mom. Even underwear needs an update. Then, they introduced a new group of women as ambassadors for the brand. They were not models. They were the VS Collective, a diverse group of women who up until a few years ago might very well be considered outside the purview of the Victoria's Secret fantasy. Introducing soccer star activist and pay equity crusader, Megan Rapino, with her glorious lantern chin and pompadour of flamingo pink hair. It's your responsibility to make the world a better place in whatever capacity that you can. Plus size model, body advocate, and community creator, Paloma El Cesar. We get to figure out what a bombshell is, you know? And petite Indian superstar slash entrepreneur, Priyanka Chopra Jonas. We have a collective of these incredible women that have taken the legacy of Victoria's Secret and just turned it on its head. They even launched a podcast called VS Voices, an interview series with award-winning journalist Amanda DeCadenay. This is VS Voices, a brand new original podcast series by Victoria's Secret. Getting all these ladies to do this, it must have been pretty intense negotiations. Their managers, their agents, what is your price for a whitewash of history? But they'd be out in front. Because the women who were normally out in front, they were going to be gone. Victoria's Secret will no longer be identified by its world-famous angel wings. Saying goodbye to the famous angel models and bringing in a more diverse group of brand ambassadors. The hierarchy that cultivated so much of the ugliness inside the company was gone. So long, super supermodels. So long, elusive, unattainable brass ring. Happy ending, right? Will this rebranding work? Will consumers return to this giant retailer? Or did they miss the boat with being diverse and inclusive? More after the break. It's after bedtime, the kids are asleep, and the moms are out to play. We're Dina and Kristen, the duo behind the Instagram account, Big Little Feelings. I'm Dina, I'm a child therapist and mom of two who nerds out on all things neurobiology and psychology, and Kristen is a parent coach who wrangles three kids on a daily basis, here to give it to us like it is. We weren't meant to do this parenting thing alone. Consider After Bedtime your village. Follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Embarking on this expensive rebrand, Victoria's Secret tried to wipe the slate clean, and with haste. Lately, Victoria's Secret has gotten religion and adjusted its marketing to actually appeal to its customers, not to men. They had one more card to play, and this one was an ace. They would combat the negativity of Wall Street by throwing a fastball, spinning Victoria's Secret off as a new public company on the stock exchange now as VSCO. Live from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, please welcome Victoria's Secret Co. to highlight its listing. The ticker on this one, VSCO. This let them message that this new company was a totally new Victoria's Secret. 
But before they did this, they needed to signal that they were cleaning up their house thoroughly. No more dust balls under those beds. Some women who worked at the brand had felt hurt by the company. There was messiness there. For example, Monica Mitro, the exec who had once been close with Ed Razek. VP of Public Relations for Victoria's Secret, Monica Mitro. She had been right there when Victoria's Secret was doing everything it did. Average height would be 5'10". Average age, cute. But now she was going to fight back too. She sued the brand for sexual harassment from Ed Razek. Ed said the allegations were categorically untrue, misconstrued, or taken out of context. So how did you feel when you saw that Monica was leaving and claiming sexual harassment? If Monica did have this sudden change of heart about harassment, she would have reached out to make amends to the people that she hurt along the way. And that's coming from this like place of hurt of how I was treated by her when it happened to me. Now, Casey Crow Taylor felt that Monica still had things to answer for, specifically about the incident where Ed ridiculed Casey for getting seconds at the buffet. There's this day where Monica comes into our cubicles. And then as she leaves to go back to her office, she makes this comment to me where she says, by the way, Casey, Ed makes really weird jokes sometimes, doesn't he? Are you really going to get more food? I really don't think you need more bread. Well, just look, just look at her. And that was the moment I was like, so the the people who are leading this company, who are leading this team, cannot even recognize me enough to pull me into a private office, have a real conversation with me, and and just to not pass it off as a joke. What happened was not a joke. It wasn't funny. No one laughed. I barely felt human in that moment. Are you really going to get more? I don't even know how you look at yourself and leave the house. Look at yourself. Just look at her. Honestly, there wasn't much Monica could have done for me as far as like a real accountability outcome for Ed. But I think what she, I mean, she could have had some kind of compassion where she could have been like, I know it sucks. I know it's shitty. I know it's wrong. And I want you to know that I know that and that I see that and I can understand what you're going through. But I also can't do anything about it. Monica did not respond when we reached out to her with questions for this episode. But maybe in a system this seemingly broken, there are no heroes, only survivors. Part of me has to give Monica some kind of benefit of the doubt because she experienced probably decades of some kind of abuse through Les and Ed before I even got there. And so I can accept that she had a sudden change of heart about the abuse and everything that happened to the other people. But what I can't accept is you saying that in the media and then not doing anything about it. And she probably signed an NDA herself, but that doesn't stop you from being a compassionate human one-to-one. You can have a phone call that's not recorded. You don't have to send an email. I just, for me, it just felt phony because I saw no action tied with it. As we discussed a couple episodes ago, Casey became involved with some people who were interested in issues like this, issues of how women are treated at work, especially at Victoria's Secret. So here's what happened. There was a law firm, a law firm actually where Anita Hill works, and they had a big client, the Oregon Public Employees Retirement Fund. 
It's a fund that had, oh, about $80 billion in it. So if they're invested in your stock, you listen. And they were invested in L Brands. Here's Julie Reiser. She's an attorney at that firm. Through our investigation, we were trying to understand what was going on in the culture at that company. There's Casey Crow Taylor, who felt like she had been harassed. And there were a number of stories like that that we heard through our investigation. So the focus was how that was impacting the stock price for shareholders and and harming Victoria's Secret's business. Julie went into mediation with Victoria's Secret, and Victoria's Secret agreed that they'd change some shit around, and fast. The NDAs, those agreements that hush up employees if there's a problem, those were going to go. People who had signed NDAs would no longer have those enforced. They also agreed not to use non-disclosure agreements in the future. It came after hearing from a number of people who were unable to speak with us because they had signed those agreements. Julie also got full-time employees new whistleblower protections. The thing that we had heard was that L Brands told people to speak up, but in fact, they meant hush up. And so going to human resources is a career-limiting move. HR should not be a place to fear. It should be a resource that's available to employees. So what about the models? Where do they fit in this? Because they're not employees, right? Correct. Well, the models already had achieved some reforms. So they already had gotten like an independent bystander for every shoot that they were on. Um, I'm trying to think, but I, I think I would also... Hang on a second. I'm just scrolling through the agreement. Um, In other words, there's not really much a lawyer can do if clients don't view something or someone as a threat to their money. Models are not employees. They're third-party contractors. So their reality today, it might kind of be the same. I want to play you a little of a video that I saw on Instagram. I noticed it just as we were finishing this podcast. It's from an account called Shit Model Management, where models complain and trade inside jokes. It's like a safe space to share their feelings. Now, I I don't think this model is talking about Victoria's Secret, but it was pretty moving nonetheless. These are days that I fucking hate being a model. Because I'm never good enough. And I've been modeling since 2014. And I started out as a size 0 2, doing editorial and runway. And now I'm a size 4 6. And I'm shit on every day because I'm not a skeleton and I'm not unhealthy anymore. In the fashion industry at large, models are still feeling exposed, mistreated. And some are outraged that Victoria's Secret hasn't helped them. To them, it felt like the brand was slapping on a coat of glossy paint and calling it a proper remodeling. It's kind of described as the Wild West, like the rules just don't apply to this industry. That's Sarah Ziff, the founder and executive director of the Model Alliance, a labor rights nonprofit that lobbies brands like Victoria's Secret to confront model abuse. She's also a model herself. I came from a fairly privileged background. You know, I grew up in New York City. I'm the child of a professor at NYU. My mom's a lawyer. You know, I was in a 
better position than many of my peers. And still, I, you know, came across people like Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein. I experienced wage theft, sexual harassment, assault. What we really need is for companies to lead and to prioritize the health and well-being of this workforce. At the beginning, a lot of my job was just helping people understand that models are doing a job and like anyone else who works for a living, we deserve to be treated fairly. And generally, the models who we're working with, who we're supporting are not the top 1%, the people who are going to the Met Gala, the people who are kind of untouchable, who frankly are more powerful and visible. We're dealing with B-list or C-list models or people who aspire to break into the industry, people who are young, often kids, who are immigrants, who you know, maybe don't speak English, much less the language of contract law or understanding their rights. The Model Alliance is taking on what it calls widespread abuse and harassment. We're calling on Victoria's Secret to enter into a legally binding agreement to uphold a code of conduct. We like our jobs. We love our industry. We just don't like the abuse that too often comes with it. In Sarah's opinion, the policies adopted by Victoria's Secret are just for appearances, a press hit, words on a page, a video droning in the background during lunch break. Victoria's Secret telling ABC News, we are always concerned about the welfare of our models and want to continue to have dialogue with the Model Alliance and others. Sarah says the Model Alliance wanted Victoria's Secret to agree to their rules, but Victoria's Secret didn't. When we asked VS a question about Model Alliance for this episode, they wrote, we felt our robust photo shoot procedures were stronger and more relevant to our specific operating model. At the same time that companies say that they have these helplines, nobody calls those helplines because people don't want to call the person who they're relying on to pay their rent. There's a lot of fear of retaliation and blacklisting, and those, those concerns are very real. We just need companies to step up and commit to meaningful standards. <laughs> and, you know, it's not just about individual bad actors. It's about companies creating an environment of accountability where we can weed out the bad actors and, you know, we're preventing the abuse from happening in the first place. And Victoria's Secret could lead. They have a lot of power to shift the way that the industry does business. You know, treating models as workers who have rights is important, I think, to women and girls more broadly. We sent Victoria's Secret another list of questions for this episode, and they responded to us with a lengthy statement. Among other points, they wanted us to know that the corporation was undergoing a revolutionary transformation. They pointed to their new leadership team and a majority female board of directors, as well as their enhanced ethics hotline that is manned 24-7. But I ask Erin Heatherton, the model whose wings were once taken from her, how she feels about all the changes. How did she feel when she learned that the Angels had been canceled? I, I did not feel anything when I heard that. Like someone sent me a magazine article or like a newspaper article about the angel being over. I'm like, I don't, it's like funny that somebody thinks I care. Like I really don't care. I don't have any ties to Victoria's Secret anymore. 
But I'm just glad that like as a society and as a world, we can like adjust what I think are archaic beauty standards. I share my story because I don't want anyone to hate their bodies. I know what that feels like when you are confined to this to this shape, like it it consumes your life. Give me the wings, you know, I, I want them. I'm going to work them. It's all about confidence. And that's really what being a Victoria's Secret angel has taught me. Victoria's Secret is just a company. You know, they're just trying to make money and the power that they have is is from the people that give it to them. Aaron shed the handcuffs, but the afterlife hasn't always been golden. After this podcast debuted, some news outlets seized on her admissions of extreme dieting and wrote ugly, misleading headlines. She's damned if she says something, riddled with guilt if she doesn't. Give me the wings, you know, I, I want them, I'm gonna work up. In some ways, you know, she'll never be out. Former Victoria's Secret model Bridget Malcolm, who you heard from in the first episode, she's ambivalent about it all too. Sure, they're rebranding and finding more inclusive ways to depict female sexuality. But what does that make her then? Collateral damage? A footnote in a great brand's triumphant resuscitation? How is that fair? I see where they're at now. Like, I'm glad that they're inclusive. I'm glad that they're accepting all women. I'm glad that they've gotten rid of the perpetrators in the company. I'm glad that they're attempting to have a clean slate and to move forward. I just, I find it so hard to be supportive or be happy. But I guess I, I have to accept the fact that there is no restitution for this. All models entering in two, one, go. There's no end to this story, I think. Go, 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 now. I try to work out here every single day, sometimes twice a day. There, there is no apology. There is no acknowledgement of the, the harm that they've done. <laughs> More after the break. Nearly 50 years ago, Roy Raymond wondered whether women might like to wear colorful lingerie. Les Wexner turned that fantasy into fact. What's the difference between lingerie and underwear? And then shit got weird. Lingerie is emotional content. The collateral damage from Victoria's Secret is all around us. It's in the women in this story. It's in the way we all sometimes feel about our own reflections and what we should look like. It's in the brand's whiplash-inducing, star-studded, all-bodies-welcome-here rebrand. But while cynicism is warranted... The people in fashion who have crystal balls, like Amy LaRocca from New York Magazine, they think changes to this industry are here to stay. You've been covering fashion for 20 years. Isn't this just a trend to get people to buy more stuff and bring a bigger number of consumers into consumerism? Absolutely. And so, but where does it go? Like, where do you see this all going in like five or 10 years? Well, you know, this is capitalism, right? So... You can't actually ask the designers and the retailers who are responding to the body positivity movement to be like entirely virtuous in their intention. This is, you know, this is America. But does that necessarily make it bad, right? There are now a wider range of consumers being served and being presented with options. I don't really see it going away, to be honest. If anything, it should reveal what a mistake it was to do it the other way. I mean, what an unbelievably big mistake the entire fashion industry made for all these years to only market 
to want, like, you know, to only suggest that there was only one way to look or one way to be. I mean, just left a lot of people feeling bad. It left a lot of people wanting to buy things, but like ending up with a lipstick because they couldn't fit into a pair of pants. So I really don't see it going anywhere. It seems like a sort of correction more than anything else. So you don't think it's going to, we're not going to look at Vogue in 2040 and it's going to be like size zero. Twiggy. I mean, look, it's always a pendulum. And you know what they say about fashion is the eye grows tired. But in this case, I mean, does the eye grow tired of just like women and bodies? I don't know. I mean, I like to think that this is uh, a change that is sort of more lasting than maybe a hemline or a heel height that, you know, that it really, like, what is the point of only showing clothes on one type of woman or only calling one type of woman beautiful? Makes absolutely no sense. And it's the kind of thing where when you take it out of context, you're like, wait, what? So there's all these people, but only that kind is attractive. You know, will the people still be incredibly beautiful and charismatic and have talents and things that make them attractive absolutely a model is still a model but i think what we're seeing is that the definition of what that is is broadening so that's good it's all good anything that gets eyes inside the building inside the spectacle where women at all levels are wearing plastic smiles and maybe putting up with abuse is a good thing anything that fills the intentionally wide cracks Anything that helps a new generation of girls think less about the shadow of their bodies. Anything that stops one loud voice from telling a complicated story all by itself has to be a good thing. The Victoria's Secret story isn't just about hot models complaining about having to be skinny. It's about the cult of business, the cult of power, and the pathologies of consumerism. It's about how some stories, if they're communicated just so, can be more powerful than the truth. I am part of a generation of women who grew up believing in the higher power of owning and wearing Victoria's Secret. Oh my God, I thought it was so glamorous. You wanted that pink trademark showing somewhere. The pink and white stripe, shopping bag with the ribbon handles. I mean, it's iconic. Believing that it could make me more desirable. You know, the Victoria's Secret catalog would come to my house. We'll show you how to be sexy. I thought that I could be sexy by selling lingerie. Better. Happier. I wanted to be one of those girls. They were flawless. I want to be in the Victoria's Secrets catalog. Holier somehow. Victoria's Secret introduces Angel Fantasies. These days, I have no use for magical thinking. I'm no longer buying what they're selling. I don't need a fantasy. I just need a bra. Perhaps the moral of the Victoria's Secret story is twofold. One, no piece of machine-manufactured lace meant to cover your bits will ever transform you into some perfect, powerful, fully realized woman. And two, if the emperor looks naked, she's probably just not wearing any clothes. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, I want to know what the secret is. Like, what is it? There's something enchanting about it. Me wanting to know 
Like, what is it that I don't know? What are you withholding from me? And I think that honestly, honestly, I may have answered my own question. That's brilliant. There may not have ever even been a secret. And I lived my whole life thinking there was. Fallen Angel is a documentary production from C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio, and Campside Media. Executive produced by Chris Corcoran for Cadence 13, Vanessa Gregoriadis, and me, Justine Harmon. Executive producers for Campside are Adam Hoff, Josh Dean, and Matt Scher. Narrated and written by Vanessa Gregoriadis and Justine Harmon. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Production led by Paige Heimson. Edited by Alistair Sherman. Mixed and mastered by Chris Basil. Production support and research by Ian Mant, Sean Cherry, Bob Tabador, Bill Schultz, Kelly Rafferty, Callie Hitchcock, Natalia Winkleman, Aaliyah Papes, Alex Yablon, and Doug Slaywin. Artwork and graphic design by Kurt Courtney. Marketing and publicity by Brian Swarth, Maura Curran, Hilary Schuff, and Josephina Francis. Original music by Skyline Brigade. Our theme song is Heartbreak Hollywood by Ledesi. Cadence 13 is an Odyssey company. Hey friends, this is Jen Hatmaker, your happy host of the For the Love podcast. You may wonder how I got into this podcasting thing. Well, I'm a speaker and an author who has happened to write a few New York Times bestselling books that really resonated with a pretty large community of women. And I thought, how great would it be to drop into the ears of this growing community every week via the magic of podcasting? So that's what we did. And I'm delighted to say we've been able to spark a bit of delight and uncover some hope and talk with great people about the big and small things that we care about and that affect our lives on the daily. So I'm thrilled to invite you to join me every Wednesday for new episodes of the For the Love podcast, where you'll hear the most incredible conversations with some of the best people on this planet. We're going to bring you moments of connection and laughter and hot takes on the things we care about going on in the world. So listen to and follow For the Love with Jen Hatmaker, a Four Eyes Media production presented by Odyssey. You can get it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.